Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today we have Scott Stevenson back on the show. And first of all, we get a bit of an update on what Scott's been up to, and we dig into how those on the enhanced side of the sport might want to think about their health and keep perspective. And then we dig into John Box's question and talking about kind of the mentality of dealing with fat gain during a mass gain phase. And we dive deep into that question. So guys, really enjoy this podcast. And as ever, as a reminder, we do provide online coaching at Revive Stronger. We have a fantastic coaching team. If you're interested in trying to gain some muscle, lose some fat, and you want some personalized coaching with one of us in your corner, please do remember to click the link in the bio for our coaching. You can sign up and have a consultation. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Scott Stevenson back on the show. I always like to check back to see when the guest has been last on. And it's actually been, I don't know if it, it always feels like when I read it more time than it, it should have been. And it's actually been now seven months since you were last on. It was wow. episode 270. Okay. Do you, time... That just that number tells you a lot, Steve. When time flies when you're having fun. So you're just so busy, yeah. man. That's the deal. Yeah, we're over 300 episodes now. It's just like, well, we're yeah. going to be a 400 in no time as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, what is Joe Rogan's at like 2000 oh. or something like that? I don't know how many, but you're, what's your, that's compared to, that's to Joe yet. Rogan. <laughs> hey, you know, what? you never know though. I don't know. Is there anyone with a higher episode number in the fitness world? Ooh. I don't know. I know um, Danny Lennon with Sigma Nutrition. He's been going, I think, longer than we have. But we okay. have, well, we do kind of two episodes a week. One's just me and uh, Pascal kind of right. chatting back and forth. But we don't count that in that number. So I think Danny's probably higher than us, though. Wow. I yeah. think he's kept up with weekly podcasts. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's getting know, there, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't see any reason why you won't be around for at least a solid decade, you know, as long yeah. as you want to keep doing it. So yeah absolutely um, anyway and with people like yourself still willing to come on still absolutely. being very much relevant it's it's fantastic to see and to be chatting again and actually i like to always just start with kind of what has been up on your end like in terms of your own training nutrition but also oh. any kind of things you need to let the audience know that's exciting or just life stuff as well because i know you're going through quite a lot yeah well i, I mentioned I'm, I'm moving so i'm moving down to be a little bit closer to my mom so that's that's cool. My, my personal um, excitement is that my new place has a barn. So I'm going to be able to uh -huh. go to the gym there. Yeah. People have probably seen on Instagram. I train, I have a, like a back porch in my current home, which isn't really my current home anymore, but, and I've got a nice iron master system out there and I can do pretty much anything I want. And people are always asking like, where'd you get that system? And like, what is that? And, and I've added some pulleys to it. I've, I've kind of MacGyvered it up a good bit. Um, but now I'll have, I'll be able to set that all in, which is plenty. But now I've got room to, to do what I have literally wanted to do for decades and be one of those guys who collects the really cool pieces, yes. you know, and I already got it. Like now they're my list is adding up. I've got a note on my, my, um, cell phone of all the, all the pieces I want to get. And I'm going to fill the, fill that barn probably faster than I, better than I should, but. Are there anyway, any, what, what are near the top of the list that people might know? Uh, that's some of them are some kind of obscure ones. I want to get this coil swing squat. Actually, okay, I have seen some sw swing squats only in the yeah. US though. Like I've never it's seen them in the UK. I have no idea if there's any here actually. Okay, yeah, I know there's um, uh, what's the gym in um, Birmingham? 
that people will go to for body power often. I'm blanking mm. on it. There's a pendulum squat there. Uh, yes. It's okay, right next yeah. to a vertical pendulum. press. There's yeah. quite a few pendulums like a, in gyms yeah. here. Well, it's not common by any means. Like you're lucky if you get hack squat, but right, right. there are pendulum squats around, but ne- like never seen a swing swing squat. No one, I've never seen anyone in the UK train on a swing squat. So I imagine okay. they, I don't know if there is one. Someone will probably comment saying like, there's one here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know that that it's coil is the person who invented it. I think he's in like Alabama oh. or South Carolina. He's somewhere sort of real. No, maybe he's in it's on the East coast. He's not too far from me, but I don't know if that term's even used. I've seen these before and someone tagged me on Instagram. They were doing a, a muscle round, I think, or doing fortitude training. They tagged me on Instagram video. And first it was a big dude. He's a strong, I mean, you could just tell this guy could move some weight and he didn't, he didn't have maybe more than like four plates on either side. So that's good. You don't have to load the thing with 19 plates, you know, for a strong person. I always, I actually appreciate that. It's fun to, yeah. you know, look at like, Oh my God, like you're, you're, you're lifting up mountains here, but you have to load and unload that stuff too. So it's fatigue. You don't want it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, if you're dieting down and you want the meat, that can be a good yeah, thing. But, um, but he just was so locked in on that thing. It has like handles literally like this that you grab hold of. And yeah. it just looked like it was perfectly set up to go really, really deep without any fear of rounding your low back. And just like, it was just one of those things of like, oh, that's biomechanically sound. Like that's a leg destroyer, but it's a squatting movement too. So it's not a leg press. So it's, it gives you that different angle. Like when you're fully extended at the hip, you're straight out, which is what, not what you get when you're at a, um, on a leg press. So you're going to have different activation pattern. You get the things that so people do some sort of squat. They do some sort of leg press. You know, those are the kind of the two big compound movements. And this is a, you know, this is a squatting movement that's just locked in and it just looked just amazing. So that'll be probably my big, my big one. I'll be doing swing squats every day, probably, you know, for <laughs> about nine months. So yeah, there's a whole whole slew of little, little pieces I want to get. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up coming my way. It's a matter of finding something, you know, when someone closes a gym. So yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I it's funny because I was even thinking back when, obviously, we were all locked down, and I had I had to make my like spare bedroom into like a gym of some sort. I was like, man, I, yeah, I, I want a home gym at some point. And then once the gyms all opened, I was like, no, I mean, no, because this. I was like, the limitation was space. Always yeah. was going to be space obviously yep. like finances willing but like here and if you want it in london for example it's just uh, the cost of space is just ridiculous so i guess in the us at least you guys have a bit more land and oh. getting those kind of big kind of warehouse type setups or far- like a, a farmhouse is perfect yeah yeah it's it's literally i've got a little over two acres it's kind of it's way it's kind of out in the country a little bit it's Lovely. not too far though. It's not like I've got an hour, like there's grocery stores near me. There's a sushi buffet that's eight minutes away, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I love you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Important. I've got all those good things, but I got that, I've got that space, you know, and the dogs yeah. are gonna love it. So yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Do you have any like um like I know you you actually didn't that long ago compete, but do you have any do you keep an eye on like when you want to again, or is that just I would, I would keep doing it. Yeah. The thing, the thing that I'm realizing now, and I'm actually sort of been just kind of inadvertently dieting down with all the moving that I've been doing. I'm like, I'm just going to diet for the summer just for the heck of it is that I've got, and this is the accumulation of 41 plus years now of training. I've got so many little muscle tears, um, both calves. Like there's a question we might get to on calves. I've torn both calves multiple times. Just, just happens. Um, 
pecs are both like partial little tears. So there's little kind of little, you know, chunks missing. About five years ago, I wrote an article for Elite FTS, actually Dave Tate, who's renowned for being about as beat up as anybody. Um, we were chatting once, I think when I was up there for um, a Learn to Train uh, conference that they have. And he's like, he's like, uh, read an article on, um, I think it's called Rust Proofing the Iron Warrior and ways to sort of get around, you know, injuries. And I listed everything that I had. And my, and I, I mean, it's like 25 injuries, I think, or something like that. Just little things, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it, 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 part of me is like, it's still fun to just get absolutely just ridiculously shredded and just yeah. healed, you know? So that's always fun. But then, you know, it's like, it's like bringing your, your car to the car show and you don't have a bumper, you know, because the calves are, are gone because just the muscle's uh-huh. not there, you know? So a little bit's like, ah, oh. so that the kind of tweaks me a little bit. Um, so I'm actually, the thing that I've, it's like kind of a new, it's sort of a challenge that's, that's kind of unique and different. I took a few years off of training way back when I was in acupuncture school, like, like two, two years, I didn't compete just for like two or maybe it was three years. I can't remember exactly, but now I've got, now I'm in my fifties and, you know, we've been getting plenty of messages through untimely deaths of bodybuilders. It's a whole other topic, you know, that this, this sport takes a toll on you. Um, and I'm, you know, as far as, aside from, aside from being beat up, you know, uh, and hung up, hung up, hung up wet, you know, a little bit, um, I'm pretty healthy. So that's, that's a, a nice thing to find. Like, I'm just like cruising along here and I'm, you know, pretty happy with the way my physique is yeah. sticking together. So there's, there's something to learn from like, like what happens during, you know, those five years after you stop competing, like Dorian Yates was a great example. Like, where's his purpose what's his meaning yeah and um so i'm you know that's a new kind of avenue because there aren't many people just from a pure business standpoint there aren't many many people out there guys doing that the guys that are most well known are the you know the 20 something the best physiques in the world genetically gifted but guys that are out out there in their 50s kicking butt there are some but that's a whole nother um sort of marketplace demographic to, to tie into and again you know, it fits. It's funny how things kind of come full circle. I've got a graduate certificate in gerontology that I picked up when I was doing my PhD. So I was, I'm very much an interest in, in aging, the biology of aging and how exercise can combat and quote unquote reverse literally some aspects of the aging process. Um, and so we did some muscle soreness studies with, with aging. And I, you know, did this certificate, sort of a pseudo master's degree. So now I'm now I'm now I'm getting stuff from the American Associated Retired Persons, the AARP in the mail, because I qualify, you know, as a retired a retiree. So, um, you know, now is now is a, an opportunity for me to like kind of maybe even rebrand myself a little bit, you know, in that way. So that that's sort of opening itself up, you know, as far as what I'm doing. And then I've got this place, that, you know, where I'd be able to have people in for seminars and those sorts of things yeah. too in the barn. So that's going to be that's fun. very exciting. Oh yeah. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Just to have your own space and like make it your own. And yeah. you haven't got the limitations sometimes that you have a, in other times. So yeah, it's, yes. that, that'd be really good. It's yeah. actually, it, it's always, I think a, a great thing to chat about. I know we haven't kind of got this question, but in terms of like the earlier deaths and kind of obviously on, on the enhanced side, do you have any just words of wisdom in terms of if there are any listeners who are enhanced, like, 
to <sighs> keep themselves as healthy as possible? I know that that might be quite a broad question, but I think yeah. valuable to hear from yourself. Like you said, you're, you're keeping in good shape and you know a lot of people in the industry and on that side of the sport. Yeah, a lot of people. And, and there, I mean, there are some things that you're just sort of unpredictable. Like even long before I was even in, in bodybuilding, I, there was an instance in my hometown of the best known cardiologist who was, who was a co-worker, co-physician with my dad, who was a marathon runner and he was a vegetarian, which was considered like the healthiest way you could eat. That's what he thought. And he was out running and he had a heart attack and he needed a quadruple bypass because he had just had horrible genetics for cardiovascular disease. Yeah. So there's some things that, you know, um, you can't really completely forestall or foresee necessarily, but a couple things, um, actually there's a lot of thoughts. There's a whole other, it's a whole seminar there potentially. Yeah. Uh, someone's going to know literally even before, if they're a natural trainee in many cases, and there are instances of guys who probably were naturals who got their pro cards as naturals, and then they jumped to the enhanced or untested side and they became a tremendous pros or someone, you know, starts off in your first two or three years of going after it. Someone knows that they've got tremendous genetics. You kind of know where you're going to go. So the there's a mistake that can be often made is that it's, it's the drugs and that that's what, the, like I said, this question just came up on a, on a message board. It's been coming up for decades now. It's like, what do the pros do? Or this is what the pros do is if there's like some magic secret that the pros do there and the secrets that they chose the right parents where they came into this world. And, um, and it's amazing what some of those guys do or don't know or do or don't do. And they look the way they do. And it's just like, this is just, you can't beat those genetics. There's literally yeah. nothing. To beat so someone, if you really take a realistic step back and say, okay, you know, what am I going to do with this sport? And what type, what, how long do I need to, persist in order to get my pro card let's say some there are instances of people who blast it away for 10 12 15 years and that's of course their choice you know as long as they're aware of what the potential outcome could be but i think a lot of people don't take a step back and say you know what if i really went hog wild and went all in and took all these risks you know and went you know basically played out almost all of my trump cards drug wise in terms of dangers of being enhanced um I'm going to know within four or five years, whether I'm going to be able to be a pro or be a good pro or where am I, you know, what my future is going to be. So then the choice is to kind of maybe do that and try to, you know, make your way in, make your living that way. Or if you still just love the endeavor and you want to be able to sort of run with a little, little turbo, let's say in your, with some guys are just going to want to do that. They don't want to be a natural competitor. Um, it, it, there's many, many cases. Some people are just very energy and sensitive. There's wide variability there, but you can get a, a whole lot from a very little amount. Um, this is what, you know, I don't know if you've had Victor Black on before, but he's the person who's become best known so, for sort of um, propagating this idea. And he has his own way of doing these okay. things of, of literally minimizing the risk of each of those enhancements that you might use and including using things to offset um, so the negative effects of steroids, for instance, in very small minor amounts to, to get as much synergy as you possibly can. And that's something that, that I think you just won't, you just won't learn from what many people and like, and rest in peace, Boston Lloyd was the person that everyone kind of knew of as like, you know, just sort of, although I understand he really sort of changed his tune more recently and he didn't do these things with his clients so not attempt to, to bash a bash or blast boston 
but he was just one person who talked about like using high doses. And there's some online personas who actually weren't even really who they claim to be. There's a guy who went by GH 15 years ago, who wasn't even a bodybuilder. Like people thought maybe right. he's Nasser or he's, he's some <laughs> other pro. He was just like, he was just some guy who just created, created an onsite persona and had people believing that you have to use massive amounts of wow. trenbolone and growth hormone trenbolone. <laughs> he called it. He sort of, he typed as if he was a Spanish speaking person. So English <laughs> wasn't his second language. And I don't think that was even true. Someone eventually found him. And, but that, so those ideas that there is like a, you know, a magic bullet in terms of drugs are, are things that people just want to believe because it gives you a solid answer. And, you know, more is not always going to be better, but more will tend to give you more, but you can get a lot out of a very, very, very little too. So if someone wants to be safe and there's kind of the next thought, and be slightly enhanced during part of the year and follow their blood work and have a physician, of course, to monitor those things and their doctors can do that well and just do their absolute dangest to pay attention to all of the potential health markers that they can, that they know of, including knowing their family, family history. That's a huge one. Family, I mean, that you, you may not have a, a complete genetic screening to know, like, you know, I've got these single nucleotide polymorphisms or these genes that are associated, you know, you haven't gone and had yourself tested. And, but if you've got a family history of cardiovascular disease or, or, or parents or uncles or what have you that have died of cardiovascular disease or of certain specific diseases, you might be um, putting yourself at greater risk to, then that's a tremendous insight that you just have to weigh things with. So you know, I get the idea because this is a bodybuilder's mentality. You want to go for it. Like, this is what you want to live that hero's like, I'm just laying everything. You know, you want to be that motivational video that you see so many of. Yeah. You, know, you want to just go for it. That, that gives life a tremendously, um, like, a, it gives you a great feeling to be doing. That's the, that's the fun of bodybuilding. It's like absolutely going for it. You know, there's kind of, it's kind of a no limit. You can't be too big. You can't be too shredded. Like that's the nature of bodybuilding. So that's the mentality yeah. that I understand is there. Um, but you have to sort of step back and say, you know what, um, what, what do I want? And this is coming from the old guy and old guys will always tell you this is like, you're, you're going to, you're going to probably think differently about it when you're in your forties, fifties or sixties, if you make it there. So, and that's, I think um, uh, what, you know, people could just take a step back and like with their significant other or think about the big plans. And I do this with, um, I can talk about one, one client, his name's Will. He came on uh, my podcast, the Muscle Minds podcast. It's a couple of years ago, people can, um, can look him up. And we talked about when he came to me, he wanted to get a pro car. That was the thing. He wanted to you know, make the next leap. He's a, he's a Brit. And we talked about his family. And um, what that was going to entail was not being able to, to be able to father children. So we took a step back. And we spent like the next year, year and a half, and we, we covered all that's why the value of that podcast, getting him online to be fertile. And he eventually had a baby girl. And now he's got, he's, he's achieved that. So we took a step back and then he went back into bodybuilding. We did that for a while too and continued from there. But we, we took a step back and said, what's, what's the most important thing? Because if he goes off with the bodybuilding, he's five, six years down the road, maybe there'll be no coming back in terms of fertility. Yeah. And his circumstances were unique. So we just took that step back and reframed everything. You know, where am I going here with this in the big picture? How far can I go? How many years am I going to give you? This is one of my answers to one of these questions we might get to. 
is what are your big picture goals? Like, where do you, like, where do you cut, cut it off? Like, am I going to just keep trying to get my pro card and for until I, in my seventies or, you know, or what's my limit? Do I ever, am I going to keep my, you know, gear use at 800 milligrams a week or less? Um, or what, what are those things? What makes sense? And then stick to those, maybe even make a contract with a loved one or a, a friend, you know, that says, Hey, this is what I've decided to do. So what, if I start to go off the rails, um, pull me back and, you know, slap me around a little bit, you know, slap some sense back into me because it's my own, these are my own wishes, so to speak. So that's kind of a, that was a little haphazard in terms of a, um, but it's a, a matter of each person. It's just kind of really being honest with the facts of the matter of what their situation is yeah. and not wishing for something that may not be reasonable. I think. I think that's a perspective that I've, I think I've asked this question to a few different people actually. And that's a perspective that I don't think has been mentioned before is looking at family history and the background there and like your genetic makeup, because yeah. that's, I mean, that's bodybuilding. Like that's so many sports in a tee, but health. Yeah. Uh, and yes. like you said, you can be there. You can have the most, well, like you can do the most like, quote unquote optimal healthy diet and lifestyle and then like genetics could dictate that that's not good enough to kind of yeah. set to your position uh, and you could make it better or worse depending just assess your risk is essentially kind of like know what you're getting into i think a lot of people unfortunately don't when they go into it they, they kind of think oh this is just what you do it's just part of like like if i want to be a bodybuilder this is where i go and i don't think any more yeah. about it that that there's interesting to be there's here's the here's the thing that's that's the difficult thing that to be in two places at once there's almost a, a form of cognitive dissonance that comes into play when if you're trying to be great extreme you know a champion so to speak there's an there's a one as a single mindedness that comes with that that is not is not balanced in the way we typically think yeah. of it and like you think of like, you know, the, the movie, A Wonderful Mind, or, you know, like stories about Einstein or, or people that have accomplished tremendous things, or some people are maybe even pathological in their desire to become really, really rich. They're just like, like Elon Musk, you hear stories about Elon Musk all the time. He's kind of a common person. Like he's just like working all the time and sleeping in his office and that sort of stuff. So that mentality is, is, is just kind of the opposite of taking a step back and realize that I have limits and you know, let's say someone were to like run a genetic profile and look at their family history and the, the information comes back and says, um, you know, given these health markers, you have a 97% risk of having a heart attack, a lethal heart attack, you know, or a thrombolytic event in the next, you know, three years. Um, so what are you going to, what are you gonna, that doesn't fit with that former mentality of just going for, well, I got two years to get my pro card, you know, it doesn't. Yeah. So you have to, it, having those two things at once is a very difficult thing to do. Um, so you have to figure out how to, how to melt, mend those together. And you can say, you know what, this is my risk. I'm going to take it. And that's kind of everyone's decision, but, um, and, and, or, or not, and decide not to do it. And then the other, the other issue, and this is the, it's the same paradox even is that bodybuilding can be a very, very selfish endeavor. It's very self-centered, self-focused. That's kind of the nature of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it even more than really almost anything else I can think of, because it's, it's your body, which is where your ego seems to think that you're, you are centered is in this thing, your corporal existence as a, as a human being, you know, with flesh and bone. And that's the opposite of thinking about the other people who might care about you, who will be terribly 
distraught and maybe children or others that will grow up and grow older without you, that you might be, you know, doing a disservice at the bare minimum in being quote unquote irresponsible or being selfish with your health. Because, you know, the way I sort of think of it is we're kind of all in this together and, you know, hopefully you're helping me and caring, caring about me. And hopefully I'm, you know, I want to do that for the other people that are important in my life. So if I go bonkers and go, you know, off the rails with drug use and, and don't really think about, well, you know, if I hurt myself, well, it's, then I did it to me. It's my decision. It's like, yeah, but when you're gone, you're, a lot of people are going to be really hurt by that. And yeah. so literally like an exercise you can do. Um, and, and I've, you know, I, I've done this at like, if you, read my now we're getting real personal but read my be your own bodybuilding coach book i dedicated to one of my dogs who was there at a really tough part in my life and i thought to myself what would i do if i were gone and he was left alone like i'm not doing that you know so that's a thought you can have is like if i if i like you know did something precipitated my my early demise Spend just a few minutes thinking about how's that, how's my mom or how's my sister or how, how are my kids or my friends going to feel about that? They're going to be just ripped apart. And if you can live with that, well, then that's, that's no other issue. But most people, if they really do that, it's going to think that'll impact their decision-making process. And I think it's, I think that's a fair thing to sit and think about in terms of reflecting on potential risks, especially because there are, there are risks are just statistical um, values, you know, they're, they're not necessarily set in stone. So they might be worse. So they might, the actual um, likelihood for you in particular might be greater or less than what the risk factors might suggest. So, but that's an exercise. That's a deep personal one, you know, yeah. that you can have in with your loved ones to say, Hey, like I'm having trouble with this. I love bodybuilding. I love being an extreme monster and going into the gym and just ripping into things and just, you know, full pedal to the metal, giving gas the whole time. Um, but I love you too, my wife, my sister, my brother, whatever. And um, what do you think? What should we do? You know, is this, I want to live my best life. And I know that this might cut it short, but this is for me, what, have the discussion, just be an open, yeah. be an adult about it, you know? And um, that's the thing. I think some people, and this is the tough, this is where this discussion gets difficult is that many people are kind of on a soapbox with a high horse and they're, they're like, you're being irresponsible and you should adapt my moralistic perspective on what risks are acceptable. And you're being a, a, a butthole because you're trying to be a better bodybuilder when if I were in your, your case, your situation, I wouldn't do that. And some, some people, you know, some people are like, like here, here's an example. Um, like I ride a motorcycle. And people who ride motorcycles, you take, you know, any sort of enthusiasts, yeah. like people, some people jump out of airplanes, parachutes, you know, and that can be dangerous. There's lots of things we do that give us a sense of really being alive. It's kind of a love, but there's a risk there, you know, so everything's got a sort of a risk to it. And if you say, well, no, no more motorcycle for you, you know, you got to buckle up and, you know, we're going to get you the biggest truck with the biggest crush areas on it, like, you know, and drive around in a, in a giant tank. So you can never be hurt when you're on the road. Well, that would re that would reduce my quality of life to some degree. Yeah. So you have to sort of weigh that. And for some people, the bodybuilding is something that is maybe it's a lesser of evils. Yeah. You know, I know lots of people who have very highly addictive personalities, and bodybuilding was the lesser of their two evils. And 
it doesn't mean that they should just go hog wild with the drugs or what have you, but they can, they can at least, you know, find a more temperate way of living that's living in a way that sort of resonates with their mindset. They're, they just have an extreme personality and they want to seek that out. They want to live that in some way, shape, or form. Bodybuilding can be um, a more temperate way of, of doing that and still getting some quality of life, not feeling yeah. like they're, you know, in a straight jacketed because they can't do anything that's risky. Yeah. So, I, hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. See you there. I love this self-reflection because I think it's, like you said, uh, bodybuilding is really selfish and even outside of the kind of enhanced side and what that might bring, but even as a like natural, like you can, I see people pushing other people away and like you just end up alone. And what happens if that got taken away from you? That's always something I think about is like, what if bodybuilding, like I couldn't train anymore, whatever, uh, a horrific injury or what have you, like, yeah. I need some friends around, like I need some, some, some sort of relationships to kind of get through life. So right. I also like now and then to kind of remind people that like, you, there's some things that like people want to go all in and they get extreme. And I think sometimes there's more cost to some of those actions where they think there's benefits. And it's like the costs of like, the other things in life are worth keeping around if that makes sense. Like it, yeah. it sounds like balance and I don't want it to sound like balance. Cause I think that kind of word gets misinterpreted. I don't know. It gets thrown around and it, as a bodybuilder, yeah. you're never like actually balanced. Cause we, it's quite an extreme, it's definitely an extreme sport, especially when you're competing, but there's ways to keep a little closer to a balance, I guess, uh, by keeping some perspective on things. Yeah. Everyone's balance is going to be a little different. You know, and some some people are, you know, or there's, you know, people that are introverted, extroverted, not in sort of the um, standard way that you think about, like, he's extroverted, he's out, he's outgoing, blah, blah, blah. But there's people who just their sense of what's important is more of an, it, it comes from the inside, as opposed to external influences. So there's, there's that one thing that you reminded that was really, I mean, I, I such it was such a gift in multiple ways is when I was, um, doing my PhD. And then thereafter, I did some research with spinal cord injury. Um, and I, actually, I was, a, I was getting phlebotomy training. There's also um, a traumatic brain injury unit there at the hospital where we're doing the research. So we were dealing with people in this case who had just had traumatic spinal cord injuries, and we we're testing out a treadmill training protocol, body weight supported treadmill training to try to retrain the, the spinal cord um, and those people who had partial injuries, who we were going to regain more than likely some ability to walk to see if we catch them as soon as possible after their injury. Um, before, you know, you start to see atrophy in the muscles, the muscles atrophy too much, then you might, you can't really train the nervous system if the muscles, you know, can't support the load. So you want to get them as quickly as possible. So that, and then like I was getting up in the morning and going for, you know, several months and doing blood draws and, and the brain, the whole hospital, actually, people who sometimes would just come in who didn't even know that they'd been injured or people who had just been, you know, had a traumatic brain injury and they're, who knows what's going to happen to them. So I was constantly seeing, and this is, I'm, you know, I was competing at the time, you know, I'd competed before and I was, you know, doing my PhD in exercise physiology. So my focus was on the body and I'm constantly being inundated with people who have had their physicality stolen from them, just robbed from them in many cases. There was a young guy, I may have told this story on a podcast, young guy who 
um, who had was a wrestler. I think he was in maybe ninth or 10th grade and he had an injury on the wrestling mat and was paralyzed and they rushed him into the hospital. And then his house burnt down that same night. Like they left the toaster on or something running off and they, the house burned down. So he became homeless and paralyzed in 24 hours, you know, in one day, basically this on the same day. And then two weeks later we brought him into our study and he, he didn't even talk. Like you could kind of get yeah. nods out of him. He was just like, it's like, wow, just was just decimated. And then, you know, five, six weeks later, we're joking around, you know, just, he's like, just, we're just giving each other shit, talking shit to one another. It's a great kid. He's an awesome kid. So you, I got to see, you know, that, that being raw from people. And then also of course, see the human spirit rise above that in so many cases. There's so many unbelievably impressive people there who had just climbed out of that, you know, quote unquote disability and, and became stronger from it. So um, having seen that is, you know, is, is makes it's, it gives me a lot of um, gratitude just for having, you know, the functioning body that I have, you know, that I, I can still get up and like, not to be kind of gross, but you know, if you've got, especially if you've got a complete injury, many, many people like going to the bathroom is a major chore for someone with a spinal cord injury, not only just yeah. transferring back and forth, but, you know, getting the whole process going in terms of defecation. And I mean, it's just sometimes I think, wow, it's so, how nice is it that I, I can just get up and go to the bathroom and, and, and come back and I'm, I'm done in a few minutes. Some people can't do that. Yeah. You know, there's so many people who have, so it's, it's like, wow, we've been given such of such a beautiful gift in the body that we have and our capabilities that we have that can be, taken from us in an automobile accident or what have you. And when I think about someone who's kind of abusing their body, you know, in a way that's, um, you know, it's that may not, they may not recognize what a beautiful luxury we really yeah. have, you know? So I got that, you know, that really hit me then back then. I just had to, I had those experiences with those individuals at that time of my life. And not everyone has that. And I, I hate to see someone have to learn the hard way you know, to have it taken from or squandered themselves. So having some perspective on, wow, I got an, my body is tremendous. Like I have to really cherish this and take care of it. And I'm just abusing it. If I'm trying to do this, is it really worth it? You know? And yeah, I, I could go on and on. There's, there's more, there's more to that too, really. I, I but, bet. You know, yeah. I, so anyway. I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel like it's a bit self-indulgent, but I don't know if you know where the name Revive Stronger comes from in terms of the brand name. Um, no. but for me, it was very much, I had a head injury. I was hit by a, a van on I, a run. I know. And this. so I, yeah, I, yeah I, I got a brain injury. Uh, so they think I had like a bruised pituitary gland, uh, and I was on like a fluid restriction for many, many months after that and went through lots of different, like rec the recovery process, basically. And it's exactly uh -huh. as you were saying, it was the most depressive portion of my life and it was horrible yeah. I, I kind of found bodybuilding which allowed me to kind of get confidence and build myself out of that hole so mm -hmm. and it made me appreciate that how amazing the human body is because I was like that's revived stronger is a case of like I'm in the best shape of my life despite having had this head injury where if things hadn't settled settled right I could have passed away unfortunately but yeah. um, I didn't and uh yeah I'm it's kind of brought me here talking to you in many ways, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't actually regret, not that you, um, I don't regret it, but that sounds a bit weird because <laughs> yeah, it kind of led me here. But uh, if things had gone badly, I, I certainly would be regretting it. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's beautiful. 
I, I did. I and now I'm so glad you told me that. Now it makes total sense. Yeah. Like you had to be revived, like literally. Yeah. You know. And yeah, those 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 things that you know that those those make you better. I mean, I you wouldn't want to do it again. It's not you don't want to seek out another <laughs> accident. It. But what it brought you in terms of like increasing your quality of life and enhancing your perspective and erosifying your lens, so to speak, is just yeah, just incredible. There was a guy. There was a guy. His name was Harley at the at the place where I worked. He had been, he would, he had gotten in a car wreck, had had went through rehab there, came in, was volunteering, and then he was on his way to come volunteer again. He got another car wreck, got another spinal cord injury, wow. <laughs> went through rehab again, and then it happened a third time. So he went through rehab three times, and and he was like an old kind of crusty guy, but he was just so great, and he he was. People would, you know, be kind of talking and, and he's like, um, you know, people are like, yeah, like, oh, this just sucks. You know, he's like, yeah, it does. It does suck. I've done it three times. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, I've been three of them. And when people say they're like, okay, I can't complain too much. This no. guy's done this shit three times and he's like 67 or something. So yeah, you only, you only, you don't need to relearn those things. No. Hopefully, but, but this guy <laughs> just like whatever reason, and he was still there kicking butt you know nothing oh, was going to bring that. him down he was revived stronger and stronger and stronger yeah. each and every time so <laughs> to get to some questions because i yes, could okay. keep i could keep uh, going on a side tangent with you but i think people enjoy it uh, i hope they do yeah. anyway uh but one of the ones i think it was this question you were kind of like i could this might somewhat answer the question was from john boxer and he said uh I guess I'd be curious to know any good ways or tips to mentally deal with gaining fat in a mass gaining phase. I don't know if that's one of the ones where you're kind of like, this would somewhat answer that question, but if not, you can go with this question anyway. Yeah, that's, no, that's cool. I mean, the first thing that, that occurred to me, I'm pulling up my notes here is that it just popped into my head. This too shall pass are wise words that you can tell yourself just at any time. Like, it's like you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm full. I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat and I look fat. <laughs> this too shall pass. You can tell yourself that. Um, so that's just sort of a general thing that popped in my head. So I wrote it down. Uh, having, here's the thing. So this is what a lot of people think do not do. And it can be very, very helpful for giving yourself some structure, some, something objective to fall back on is having a very specific goal in mind when you're gaining. Um, you're not just power shoving or just doing a seafood diet to just get as massive as huge as possible. And, you know, watching the, you know, those, the um, inspirational videos, you know, on YouTube of guys yeah. eating the shoving of their food down um, because that, that doesn't necessarily help you when you're just not happy with where you are. So having some goals that are quantifiable in terms of your muscle mass, you're trying to get a move up a weight class. This is one of the first, sections like very like very start of my book as an example goal because it's one of the most common ones is if you want to say let's say you're, you're a light heavyweight and you want to become a heavyweight you want to move up you know 10 kilos 22 25 pounds or so something like that that's a big jump something like that you could do a body composition estimate dex is a great way to do that and figure out where you are fat free mass figure out where you are body fat mass and then track that as you're moving along every two three months you can use Skin folds, I may have even mentioned this on, on this podcast, you can use skin folds as your own sort of surrogate for what that number is. So measure skin folds, places where you hold fat, take that total and use that as a predict, you could just plot this on a piece of graph paper on your computer. You can use your own skin folds to get a body fat estimate. 
And then you know, for instance, if you want to be, let's say you want to be 100, give the numbers in kilos because they're easier. If you want to be 100 kilos on stage, so like 220 or so, um, at 4% body fat, you got to have 96 kilos of fat-free mass, pretty much. That's where it's going to have to be. So if you're moving up, moving on and you're like, wow, I'm pretty fat here. I don't want to gain too much more fat, but I'm at 95 and a half kilos of fat-free mass. I, if I can get to 97, assuming I'm going to lose some and some of that's going to be water too. Like when I diet down, assuming I can hold, you know, that will depend on various circumstances, but assuming I can hold that, I'm in a good spot. So now, you know, like I'm getting there. I, I've got the light at the end of the tunnel is not me turning into Yabba the Hutt speaking of Star Wars characters, but instead, um, instead it's me reaching my goal of fat-free mass. So that when I get that size, I can hold that for a period and then I'll be able to step back from the food and then diet down. And then I'm going to be just like, I'm going to be 10, 15 pounds bigger on stage. So you know that because you had a goal and you were making the goal quantifiable and you're not just relying upon your day-to-day moment-to-moment sensation of God, I feel fat and awful. Um, Not that you should ignore those things necessarily, because the other side of this, another thing I I mention often is that um, everyone's going to have their own personal limits as to how big they're going to let themselves get. Like some people are just like, you know, I just don't want to ever get where, you know, I can't see my abs. And that's totally fine. That's a good, for for many people that is going to limit their size to some degree, but that's, that may be okay because psychologically they're probably going to be limited anyway if you if you get there's there's a something that just happens when someone they will start self-sabotaging they'll start it's like just skipping meals um they're just enthusiasm for the for the push upward will just will go down the tubes and they just won't go anywhere they'll just stall out once they've reached that psychological limit in terms of what that is so what you can do um, to maybe shore that up a little bit is say, you know, in the past, I've done my body fat. So if someone's got those numbers, you know, and when I get to like 18%, you know, that's it. So I just, I start to lose. I just don't want to go any higher. So I'm going to set, I'm going to set like 20% of my absolute limit. And then I'm going to use that number. So once I get to 18, I'm starting to dislike it, but I'm setting 20% because I know that at 20%, I give myself a 20 week diet dropping this much weight per week, I can be ready. So I get to 17 or I get somewhere. I'm like, ah, I'm not liking this. You can go get the body fat done. Okay. I'm at 17%. That makes sense that I'm going to feel this way. I can put that outside of my perspective and not just dwell on it and say, I'm going to keep going until I gain at least three or four more pounds, hopefully get another pound of fat free mass out of that. You know, not a great P ratio, but that's what I'll do. Then I'm going to hold that. I'm not going to get any fatter or, or maybe even, I'm going to go to the end of this month and then, then I'm holding, I'm not trying to gain any weight beyond that. I can hold that for three months. So in three months, I'll be able to start my diet and the fat will typically come off really rapidly too, especially at the beginning for many people. That's what the research suggests. Generally, the more body fat you have, the easier it comes off. Kind of the opposite of what happens you know, yeah. at the end of prep where it's almost impossible to strip any more body fat off. So if you have those goals in mind and a time frame, and you can contextualize those things and look at them objectively, this is what a coach does many times is, you know, steps back and isn't, isn't um, uh, prey to your, the subjective feelings of I feel so fat and I'm comfortable. And they say, just hang in there. We know what we're doing. You're making good progress. This is what we're going to do. And then you can come back down from there, but you have to kind of know what your limit is for some people. Some guys just like, you know, like, like Lee priest was an example. 
you know, yeah. the, those famous pictures from way back when yeah. everyone's seen. He just went for it. Kentucky fried chicken, you know, bucket a day. He was doing it. And he did that. And he could eat that much and got that big. And of course, he gained a ton of size too that way. I don't know that it helped him look any better on stage, but, um, but some people just would never be, but some can. So that's sort of, you've got, you've got one goal of like, I want to be so big and I need to have so much fat-free mass. And, you know, if I keep going, I could do that. But then there's also a practical psychological limitation of, you know, when I get to 18% body fat, I just lose all my enthusiasm. I want to look like a bodybuilder. That's why I'm doing this. I'm just not willing to have six months where people are asking me, hey, did you stop training <laughs> or whatever? Because <laughs> that, that will happen. You know, like, hey, did you get injured? It's like, no, I'm actually as strong as I've ever been, but I'm fatter than ever before too. The moon face and all that stuff. So let's see what else I wrote here. Um, there's anything else that will help with this, but this is a tough one. Uh, yeah, another, another thing too that can help with that I, I sort of alluded to. Um, oh, and there's another big one is knowing how long you're going to diet in. So if you have an off season and then a show doing body comp, we'll say, you know, okay, so now I've got 16 pounds of body fat that I'm going to have to lose roughly in order to be in contest shape. So I'm going to have to start my diet at 20 weeks out. So that means I'm going to start my diet in three months. I can do that. I can hang in there for the next month, hold it for two months and then diet down. Um, and then the other thing, aside from like trying to avert all those negative thoughts that run through your head is, you know, em embrace the hugeness and say, you know what, I'm the biggest I've ever been. I'm going to go into the gym and I'm going to outlift every mofo in here. I'm, I'm just a monster and literally go with that flow. That can be something that some people have never maybe even experienced is that, you know, now I'm throwing four plates on the squat bars as opposed to three, or now I'm you know, pressing this instead of that. So you can like look for the positives and fun and like, and it, and that's the thing that's, it's the challenge, but I think it's, um, it's a part of sort of mastering yourself that bodybuilding will allow you to, to do is, is that you can take like the mindset of someone who's pushing for a penultimate size in the off season, um, you know, and just like, pardon my French, but doesn't give a flying F about body fat. Like I'm getting huge within reason, you're not trying to look like Lee Priest did in those pictures, but you're just like, I'm, I'm on a full out assault for size here. And I'm going to push the weight and I'm going to take naps and I'm going to make sure my sleep is on point and I'm going to eat regularly. I'm not going to miss meals like that. That sort of mindset is, is very different to when you're, you know, five weeks out from a show and you're like, okay, glutes are going to be shredded, baby. And I'm going to be hungry every single moment that I'm awake for the next five weeks. Like, that's a different mindset. And the, the, the unifying feature of both of those is that you are basically uh, stepping back and saying, you know what, it's something that I'm going to make happen because, you know, I, I don't have to believe those thoughts that I'm too fat, you know, that are creeping in my head. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to give in to those thoughts of hunger. It's just hunger. You know, I'm not going to die. I know that I'm, I mean, I'm going to eat again in a few hours. I'm, I'm not dying here. I'm not doing anything that's going to kill me. So it's just thoughts. It's just pain, just discomfort in both cases. They're just different kinds. Yeah. And once you can do that, once you can sort of put those things outside of you, then these sort of thoughts are, they're, they're just, they're just poofs of smoke that, you know, okay, that's a thought. Yeah. I look kind of fat in the mirror. Like, this is great. I'm going to take a picture of this because this is going to look, 
really yes. cool when I have my my you know my peak week pictures of my transformation, you know, and you can laugh at it. Look how fat I got, you know. So those are some thoughts um, that you know you can lose the fat. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that people like. People have done lost fat. They've done fat loss diets for 10, 15 years, and they still like shit. I'm so fat. Like they're panicking. Like they can't lose the fat. It's yeah. Like, you're going to lose it. You're, that's, that's relatively easy for most people as opposed to gaining muscle. So know that's always available in the future and can always come back down. I always so. think I analogize losing fat to like cycling downhill versus gaining muscle, like cycling uphill. So yes. I'm like, don't make that cycle uphill any harder than it needs to be like yeah. commit to it. Make right. sure you get, give yourself the surplus because people are always trying to get away with like lean gaining as much as they can and not put yes. on any fat. And I'm like, just uh, and like you kind of said like embrace the benefits that that mass is giving you especially as a like for natural guys we yeah. look like when you're stage like ready you look skinny as hell in t-shirts so at least like yeah. you could fill out t-shirts and things a little bit more when you're massing which right. is nice right um, in terms of actually you mentioned kind of the discomfort obviously people know when you're getting stage ready there's discomfort towards the end particularly and then on a mass gaining phase there's discomfort for some people it's more than others yeah. how like how far do you think it's worth pushing through like a discomfort in terms of obviously to stage it's part of the sport you need to get there but in terms of like discomfort moving up assuming it's mostly physiological and not like a mindset thing how much of that yeah. do you think pushing through like in terms of like having zero hunger like lower energy levels that sort of thing potentially yeah well some of that i mean it'll it, this actually harkens back to what we first started talking about or earlier we spoke about you know health and yes. you know, where is someone Oftentimes, for some guys, enhanced guys, for instance, they, they may be, um, their blood pressure may be really high. They may be getting, you know, sort of toxing out if they're using lots of stuff in their off season to try to gain more size. Um, uh, so that comfort that's coming from things that are, that's, that are basically you know, adversely affecting your health is not something I would suggest, you know, hanging with. The thing that's, that's, that's interesting there that, it is, you know, and this is, again, it's the mindset that's juggling two things that seem kind of opposite at the same time is that you want to be able to say, you know, it's just the discomfort. Like I said, just that's it. Leave it there. But on the other hand, you want to minimize those things as much as possible. So the more you're, the more your body's telling you, don't do this, this is terrible. The less likely you are going to be able to grow. And a lot of that's with the GI tract, GI yeah. system. You're not hungry. You know, you've got diarrhea all the time and, you know, you feel like you're going to burp your food back up most of the time, those sorts of things. So like maintaining, you know, GI, GI health is really, really important. So avoiding the, the temptation to say, you know what, I'm just going to keep eating. I'm a machine, you know, despite how much it hurts, as opposed to I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to, you know, make sure I've got some probiotics coming in. I'm going to, going to have some vegetables or some greens or something Make sure my, my nutrients on track. I'm going to use digestive enzymes, you know, whatever it is, the situation can be different depending on the person, but I'm going to take as good of care of, as I of myself as I possibly can so that that discomfort isn't there. Um, to some degree too, um, there's something and this may be related to insulin sensitivity, but there are times when, when people will, um, they'll be pushing and pushing and pushing and you just, you need to periodize the, the push up as far as the food goes in terms of giving your GI some, some um, time to, to basically repair itself from driving the food up. So 
people will push and push and push. And all of a sudden there'll be sort of like, there might be a day where you, you put on like two or three pounds of water and then it just stays. And then the low back pumps, you know, are kind of, you know, uncomfortable, especially on back and, and leg training days. And that could be remedied sometimes by just like having a low carb day one day a week that a lot of people, John Meadows had done that a little bit when dining people down, he just have like a day of fasting on the weekend. Um, and I've done that for years where you just like, you know what, I'm just going to get my protein in and keep my, you know, calories at like half what I normally be and just eliminate carbs for a day. And you can drop water off really, really rapidly. And that also gives your GI tract a, a little bit of a rest. Those will be days when you have some vegetables, have some food that you wouldn't normally be eating necessarily because you're looking for more calorically dense things and you drop that water off and that just makes everything a little bit easier. So you maybe even do a week where you, you're, or you push for four or five, six weeks and then do you or do a week of eating at maintenance, which is just glorious. You, you may actually even have a meal that you're hungry for, you know, which, which was like, oh, I'm going to like, that would be my treat in the off season. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to actually skip yeah. a meal so that when I go out for this meal, I'm actually hungry for something, you know? Um, so you know, periodizing things, just like you do a deload with your training, you need to do a deload with your, with your pushing and yeah. how, and when you, t when you do that with your food is going to be something that I think it's oftentimes the best auto-regulated and, and you'll, you'll kind of know that because the, like the food gets incrementally exponentially dip, more difficult to get down. And, um, and the weight won't be moving. The scale won't be moving. Like nothing is happening in the gym as well. Um, sometimes a lot of people like Jordan Peters, who probably a lot of listeners are familiar with, he's, he's talked about when his weight gets too high, he sort of falls away from that sweet spot. And I found this too. And lots of clients find this many people is like you, then you can't train as effectively. Yeah. So, so you sort of, you, you're past the optimum peak as far as weight and being able to create the training stimulus. So then your training sucks so bad that you're just not going to grow because of that. So you have no choice. You have to take it a step back and, you know, sort of rest for a little bit and then take another run at it and try to go back up again. So, yeah, it's a matter of period, uh, period, periodizing yeah. in an auto-regulatory fashion, I think. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Yeah, I, I always think like, I, I say training's the match that lights the fire for muscle gain. So if you're yeah. doing anything that's kind of causing training to go down, it doesn't matter what's happening. You're not going to be yeah. growing a muscle well if you're not training well. Yeah. So if you're trying to stay too lean or even like you said, like pushing up too high, like you need to bring yourself back to a point where like that sweet spot within that kind of bell curve, I guess, where you're going yeah. to be training productively. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people will go towards like, I don't know, more of a, if it fits your macros of like, like the less, uh, more processed foods, like less vegetables, less fruits. And that almost disrupts the GI health. So then they're eating all that crap quote unquote crap um yeah, and yeah. then their gi health is worse as well and they're like oh, i just can't get it in at all and i found uh, i did that one off season where i wasn't eating, it certainly wasn't like highly processed but i wasn't eating as much of like a well-balanced diet and i found that right. my stomach just was it was getting worse because of that and when i reverted back to like more of the basics like you almost said periodized it back it kind of improved itself i'm kind of like i don't know I'm a bit worried to get to that point again. I'm like, I'm in this period of my off season where food is like my hunger and appetite's good and I'm gaining well. I don't want to get to that point again. It kind of makes me nervous because that was worse than like 
contest prep like in the yeah. final weeks because it's horrendous when you feel like like you said you just have no hunger and skipping a meal is a pleasure i think it's harder at the peak of an off season pushing the food than it is at oh. the worst of a, of a pre-contest diet in my opinion i think it's more of a challenge um yeah yeah there i mean the thing thing too is like you know some people will try to like i'm just going to do chicken and rice chicken and rice chicken and rice sure. and like you know you can do like dates you know dates yep. and and just dried fruit sometimes it gives people some issue but dried fruit like mango and papaya can be can be especially good there's lots of dried fruit as long as it's not the really sugared stuff dried bananas we had dried bananas dehydrated yeah bananas. they're nice oh you can put down like eight of those and it's like nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like they just whoop, whoop, whoop. so there's foods you can find that are calorically dense that aren't just atrocious like um yeah. Yeah, there's some like sprouted grain breads that are like date and nut breads. Um, uh, what's the name of that? It's like kind of like a, I don't think, I don't think they have the product over there. It's kind of like a, um, like what are the, like the fruit cakes people gave you for, uh, for Christmas. Oh, sure. Yeah. Thing. We have but like fruit loaf. Sorine, I think we call it here. Yeah. Okay. Could be. Yeah. And it's like one of those is like a thousand calories. Yeah. Yeah. And it has like 56 grams of protein in the thing. And it's, Malt you know, loaf, it's, it's, I think. Yeah, yeah. Those sorts of things. And those have lots of fi- fiber can be really finding the right combination of fiber because it's a probiotic or prebiotic. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps having the, you know, the mass to keep things moving can be really, really important. So that can be a, that can be the game changer for many people. It's just getting like Benefiber is one that I found works really well for people either direction. I think that's available over there. Um, it helps if you've got diarrhea and helps if you have constipation. It's a, it's a soluble fiber form. You can get it at Walgreens and, the basic um, pharmacy store but uh so yeah so there you can go high you know you don't have to you don't have to go to mcdonald's you know to yeah. get high caloric density food you know um just a matter of sort of thinking outside the, the traditional box because you don't see you don't see a lot of times you don't see that the people with the best genetic here's the thing the people with the best genetics this all kind of comes together who we're we typically we're looking to because they've got the best physiques are gaining without getting a lot of body fat because they have the genetics to do that. And they can do that with chicken and rice. And because they're, they're not pushing their body fat way outside of where it's norm would be because they don't have to. So they can eat those sorts of foods. They may actually be gifted in terms of their gastrointestinal tracts too. Yeah. I've, I've noticed one, like high green is the perfect example of someone who's renowned for having just like a world-class appetite guy could just eat. And that's a gift right there as far as putting yeah. on size. I had a, a buddy that a guy that I competed with years ago, and he would just – I remember watching – the first time I watched him eat, and this was like during an off-season. He wasn't like dieted down or anything like that, and we just got some room service, and he just kind of eat whatever. He was trying to gain size, and he ordered like two – like triple burgers, I think. He got two extra patties and fries, like two full entrees from just room service. And like my stuff came, and I think – you know, I went to get some toilet papers, napkins or whatever, and I'm starting to eat my food. And I looked over and like, where's your food, dude? He ate it all. Or, and like he ate the, the whole, two meals in like four minutes. And I'm like, how did he do that? I can't even imagine anyone eating that fast. But that's how he ate all his meals because he just had this yeah. naturally gifted uh, appetite. So, yeah, you may have to be really, really kind. That may be your weak link in gaining weight yep. in the offseason is your appetite and your GI tract and GI health. And, um, yeah, having that hardcore, like just chicken and rice or just push the food mentality or put in junk food can totally backfire like you experienced. 
how have uh, how do you feel about mass gainer shakes? Have you ever is that anything you'd ever go towards, like the serious mass or something like that from like, various <sighs> brands that they do? I don't. I haven't. I've always just made my own. I've been using. I, yeah. it's, a, it's a plug. I even true nutrition. You know, true true protein. Before then, I make my own stuff. Um, but I would put like psyllium husk in those drinks sure. just for the fiber because it helped it like the one, the one situation. And sometimes you just don't have a choice because people have lives they have to live. And some people are working, you know, desk jobs where they're wearing a, you know, a, a button down shirt and even a tie maybe. But I was one point I was gaining weight. I was when I was in acupuncture school and this point I was, I was still competing and, uh, we had, um, I was eating 6,000 calories a day those days. And I had, uh, I had to have two shakes that day. I believe I'm time. Yeah. I had, a, I had breakfast. We were training in the morning and I had something around six. We trained like five. I had breakfast like seven. Then I'd eat again at nine, I had lunch at noon. And then we had a break between cl clinic was like one to five. So we had one, two, three, four, maybe one to six. I think it was. So, so I had like a break at three o'clock and literally it's a five minute break, but I needed to get that meal in because I'm eating six 1,000 calorie meals. I had a shake. It was basically almost entirely frozen when I left in the morning. And by that time, it would be, you know, chilled, um, sitting in my cooler all day. And I'm like, okay, three o'clock. Here we go, baby. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Slam that thing, put it down, you know, close my eyes, take some deep breaths, like, okay, we're there. And that was my meal. And that was, you know, it took me 20 seconds to chug that thing. And so I had to do that and it was okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I was doing that sort of out of necessity. I was trying, I was eating as much. That's when I was eating those loaves. Like that was in, in that case, I would have like, um, like a double scoop of whey protein. Like, so 50 grams of whey protein plus the other 50 grams and one of those loaves. Mana bread is, the, is what it's called in the States. Okay. People can look that up if they, if they want. And 960 calories. And I'd eat one of those, you know, pound that down. Um, so those can be effective, but as much whole and real food as you possibly can, I think most, most people can go further than they probably think with real whole food. If they, if they go to those things that we've talked about that are more healthy yeah. alternatives and get the, you know, high caloric food that, that mother nature has given us. Um, and you can, I mean, you can do things like add honey, um, to rice, you know, so you don't have to eat as much rice. You've got honey in there and honey has its own benefits. So, um, or, or, you know, have, like I said, dried fruit as sort of a little bit of dessert, you know, to add some calories. Um, so you can, you know, add, uh, you can add honey and syrup to all sorts of things. You can add olive oil. This is one of Dante Trudell's old, old school techniques is using olive oil and shakes, you know, or macadamia nut oil. Juan Morel, as if he needed help eating, he's, he's another person more, more gifted even than, than Kai in terms of what he could eat. Probably seen as like 20,000 calorie days. What Juan Morel okay, would eat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, ch check it out. Like just for some entertainment, like <laughs> he's now retired, but like that guy is just ridiculous metabolism. I don't even know. I can I even fathom physiologically how he could do what he did, but he would have to eat all sorts of junk. But the guy would just put down massive, amounts of food. And that was one thing I remember Dave Palumbo, cause he, I, I think he still or used to sell Mac nut oil, macadamia nut oil okay. or had a product with it in. And, you know, that's what he would use. And that one, you know, didn't give him the runs. It was, you know, absorbed by him and you can, you can cook your meats, let's say with that, if you're, if you're not trying to do some nutrient timing based thing and you can have, you know, add oils to your meats. 
decrease yeah. your fats that way. So there's all there's all sorts of little tricks to the trade. I've got some of these in my book that can be done before you have to go to just putting in shakes and in fast food. Yeah. Um, but those can be those can be okay too. There's you know there's I think if you, this is why I you know either you don't have to go through nutrition. I don't know if you even how well it can be had over there in the UK. I think shipping is prohibitive, but um, if you know, and this is what I've suggested with clients from the UK, if you know who the suppliers are, um, get that, get those basic products from them. And then, you know, like, you know, I'm getting whey protein. It's just whey protein. It's got no artificial sweeteners in there, which can screw up some people's guts, you know, and then I can add my own sweetener to it, or I can use stevia or what have you. And then, then you've got formulas that work for you. You're not getting like, I'm going to get the super quadruple XL weight gainer shake from company XYZ. Yeah. And they've got 5,000, they got the kitchen sink in there and you're like, okay, well that if it works well, it's like, okay, that's great. And then now they come up with the, the quintuple XL shake. That's got five other things in it and that doesn't work for anymore. And then the company goes out of business. It's like, there goes my solution. I'm going to have to start from scratch. But if you build your own pieces from basic raw ingredients, you know, highly branched cyclodextrin, maybe if you need that, which some may protein, your own choice of sweetener, maybe adding fruit or what have you, um, oat milk, you know, um, almond milk, some sort of nut milk, cashew milk, there's all sorts of things you can add. Yeah, then you've got your own, you're, you're figuring out when the from sort of ground up the things that you can add. And you can make some really calorically dense stuff that way. It's just a matter of, of, uh, you put a little effort towards it and then having a cooler <laughs> that you can carry around. I like so, it kind of sounds like almost like getting back to basics, what you've got, what's always worked for you. Cause I know yeah. I had consultations with, uh, you might know Gabrielle Fondero, uh, who's like uh, a gut health expert essentially is yeah. I'm going to put it as, as simply as that, but uh-huh. I had some consultations with her and she was picking some of the like supplements I was having and being like, there's just like this small individual thing in here and here that might just be causing yes. upset. So it's like, you can kind of remove the the stuff that's maybe a bit like not basic and like just right. like wholesome, normal, quote unquote, normal kind of food that you're consuming. And I, I like that idea of kind of getting back to basics. Uh, yeah. If you can't pronounce it, that's, you know, a yeah, good, a good thought. Like, unless you're, a, unless you're a biochemist, you know, or what have you, you know, if you have to like contact Dean St. Mark to get interpretation, what is this chemical? Yeah. <laughs> what this is? Then probably it's something you can maybe avoid if at all possible. Absolutely. So uh, I know we uh, didn't have too much time. I don't want to run, run past our, your limit. Um, yeah. I, I know there's a bunch more questions. I'll have to get you on again. Once you're, you're more settled with things. I only okay. had, I know we're, we're probably only get to this one question. I had one more thing. Thing to say on it just okay. out of interest was because you brought up a few kind of olive oil and kind of macadamia oil do you have like a a preferred approach in terms of carbohydrates to fats uh, and particularly in like i don't know yeah in a, in a mass gaining phase essentially yeah or do you um, not not worry too much once it gets to that point i do i do this is um it depends on you know who who i'm talking to and where where and when they've come to me but many times you can kind of start from, you know, the, the beginning of the year is after the contest, so to speak, or when someone's dieted down. And a lot of times that means they've dropped their calories by eliminating carbs. That may not be the case, but that's most common what yeah. you're seeing. Proteins high using some fats. Um, what I typically do is a nutrient timing approach. And, you know, there are some good studies supporting this. And then there are some that don't matter. The protein timing thing doesn't matter overall, but that's a whole other body literature that that I've, I've talked about actually multiple podcasts before. And there's some, if people are really interested, you can go to um, 
EliteFTS.com, and I have a, a three-part article on nutrient timing there, and it's in, in my Beer and Bodybuilding Coach book, too. Um, it gives my sort of thoughts on that big picture, but to, to your question, the first thing I would do, especially in that post-contest period where you know, you got to watch out because your appetite's really high and you could just, you know, put on 15 pounds in a matter of a week easily, if not more, is I just start adding calories in terms of carbohydrate um, in and around the workout. So it might be a little bit intra-workout, adding real food, like healthy, true food afterwards. So like a, a, a decent sized meal that's somewhat uh, quantifiable, not necessarily like let's go to the all you can eat and just like have at it. And it also gives people an opportunity to sort of re-socialize themselves. Yeah. So they may have been eating alone, you know, because they just want to be able to sit there and enjoy their food. And now they can go out and, you know, meet with a girlfriend or family or what have you and, you know, have a couple meals out during the week. So I add back in a nutrient timing way that that puts those elevated caloric intake times um, peri-workout. So intra and then post-workout the next couple of meals. So that would then that would you can progress that up depending on the person, their time of day, their training, how much they can eat, how that's going for months, literally. And the rest of the diet would stay very, very similar to the contest diet, depending on how restrictive it was. If they were they were doing a protein sparing modified fast, you know, on, we wouldn't keep it at that. We would bring up the non-training days as well. But that would stay relatively low. And then at some point in time, once you fill it out those post-workout meals, depending on the time of day, if someone's training in the morning, that's, that lends itself better to this. If you're training at nine o'clock at night, well, then you're going to have a big meal then afterwards, hopefully if you can, and then maybe the next two. Um, but you're basically timing the meals. And then eventually at some point, you're going to reach a, a, a plateau, so to speak, and need to add some food on the non-training days or somewhere outside of that, that sort of window of opportunity. And that's when I'd add those in. And typically... The rule of thumb that I use in terms of adding meals is pay attention to when you're hungry, what's your body telling you. So it's like, you know what, at six o'clock, a lot of times there'll be a circadian rhythm that's in train. So if someone's yeah. training after work and they're eating big meals at training days, then at night they'll end up being hungrier just in general on those non-training days. So that might be where they'd add more food. Um, things you got to want to watch out for especially with someone who's got a background of disordered eating or eating disorder is you don't want to like try to, you don't want to set up this train reward scenario where you only get to eat if you've gone and trained, <laughs> you know? So you have to be careful with the person because literally, I, I think post the post contest period is the most volatile in terms of potentially triggering or sending someone down the path of a, of a disordered eating pattern. Yeah. Because like now you've reached potentially your leanish, you look like you've never looked before. Maybe you look like you, what you've been seeing on Instagram or what have you for so long. And then you're like, I want to keep this. And you can't, it just doesn't work that way. That's kind of the point is like, this is a, a pinnacle. You can't, you don't, you, you, you can't stay on top of Mount Everest. You know, you need, you're going to freeze up there and there's not enough oxygen. It's too cold, et cetera. You got to come down, but people don't want to. So you got to watch out for, you know, how you're bringing, how you're reincorporating food back in, but eventually you work your way through that. If that's a pattern that works, it's, it's, if nothing, like if there's, if there's nothing to say for this timing idea that we know that protein synthesis and turnovers increase post-workout sort of makes sense to make the, the nutrients and the protein, especially available when that's uh, at its peak and sort of match those things temporally, even if there's nothing to that, which I, I can't imagine there is, there isn't, I mean, but 
um, it gives you an account, a way to account for things. It's like, you know, this is a non-training day. My carbs are low. This is an easier day. I'm going to be a little bit hungry this day. Perhaps I'm not going to be eating much. And now I know I have big meals on these days. This is the day I have a little bit of like, like I have a, it's a totally facetious thing that's taken off on Instagram is serial gains nation. Yeah. So I'll have, you've seen that. It's like, like I, so I have, you know, breakfast cereal. Um, and people are like, so like, aren't like, are you worried about all the iron in your breakfast cereal? And I'm like, no, I'm doing that like three times a week, you know? And, and it's not like that much and I'm rotating the cereals and it's like, literally this is, you know, uh, 15% of my diet or something, you know, at most. And those are big meals. Um, but that's a time when, you know, you know what I want to have, I'm going to have a little bit of a, you know, a pizza from the, I'm going to go out on Fridays, have a pizza after I've trained, because it's a good time to have it. I've used up some intramuscular triglyceride. I've depleted my glycogen. I just trained legs. You know, that's a good time to, you know, pack that in. Um, so it gives people a pattern they can follow in bodybuilders. We like patterns, like yeah. some people, we, we like that. So that, that keeps you sane to some degree. So it's nice to have a pattern that's relatively simple that's logical, um, that makes sense, but you just got to watch out for that, you know, that, um, and training a reward with the training with yeah. the food. And eventually you'll get to where, you know, you're eating, if you're eating 6,000 calories a day, you're just, you're just Every figuring meal. out a way to get the food in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no real timing involved. It's full all the time. So amazing. Uh, Scott, yeah. Uh, you're right. I do have uh, another call after this. So I apologize to the listeners and Scott, because we could definitely keep talking for longer. No uh, but hopefully, Scott, once you, you know, like I said, once you're settled in the next few weeks, we can get to these other questions and okay. you guys can have the pleasure of listening to Scott some more. So thank you so much for your time, Scott. And uh, Thanks, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. I'm good. See you guys. Cheers, guys. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can log your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.